Welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. I'm Dr. Justin Manning, and here on the podcast, I interview experts from within and outside the eye care industry on the business management topics and advice that matter most to you, your practice, your patients, and your success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Practice Advantage podcast. I know what you're thinking, not another podcast episode on culture. Well, buckle in because we're diving headfirst into culture over the coming few episodes. Frankly, I believe that this is the most important investment you can make that solves a lot of the fires that a lot of practices face on a regular basis as is. So it's one thing you can focus on that actually solves a lot of existing problems when it comes to a people standpoint, when it comes to the business success. And my guest today is dynamic keynote and culture expert, Greg Hawks. Greg is a business owner, real estate investor, and a father who is passionate about helping businesses succeed. If you go on his website, He is classified as being annoyingly optimistic, contagiously energetic, and slightly mischievous. All things I think we'll see throughout our episode today. Uh, His expertise has been sought after by companies like Coca-Cola, Paycom, and the University of Oklahoma. Greg, welcome to the Practice Advantage Podcast. It is so great to be here, man. Thank you so much. I'm excited about our time together. Me too. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. You know, I... Talked about your intro, you know, as I, as I mentioned, through you know, so many small business owners get hung up on culture and many downplay it as being something I'll get to when I do A, B, C, or D beforehand. Before we get started, in your opinion, why is investing in culture so important? Uh, you briefly referred to it, but it's a preemptive strategy for eliminating a lot of problems that people face, both in recruiting and retaining really high caliber individuals, right? The culture is the soil that things are going to grow out of. So if it's a healthy soil, you're going to get healthy. If it's unhealthy, you're going to get weeds and toxicity, and there's just going to be things that um, eliminate the possibilities for future growth because you haven't really focused on the thing that lets people flourish, let your business thrive, and really kind of create a space that others are attracted to. And in the, in the marketplace today, man, with the limited labor and just the, uh, the, the options people have to not work or to attempt working differently, it's so vital that you know the culture is a place where people come and go, this is a place I can grow and thrive in. So it's, I mean, it's essential, even more so now in in the way the world is working. I love that. And thinking about culture in the context of it being the soil, I don't think any of our any of our listeners, I know we talk to doctors on a regular basis. They they want their people to show up, they want them to perform, they want them to do their jobs. They don't want to have to manage every last little detail. They want their people to be happy and enjoy the work that they do. They don't want to have to hire too often if they don't have to, and they want to attract a really good candidate. So yeah, I think you hit on all of those. Yeah, you know how it is. It's like, if you'll get this thing right, it sets you up for so many other natural benefits that come out of that. And yet it's usually kind of the reverse because, you know, as you've mentioned, the, the, 
maybe there's smaller practices and, and there's just not that many. And so they're just working on keeping business, just focused on clients and the services and maybe some of the products and all those elements that are just kind of very functional that seem like if we don't get these right, the business isn't going to survive or we're not going to make it this month or we're not going to have things. And so it, all, it always feels secondary. And yet just with, with little effort consistently and consciously to, to invest in that culture element, it really makes a difference in every other aspect. What's unique about, you, you just you just highlighted, what is unique about healthcare and being a private practice owner, a doctor owning a business, is that you're both full-time patient care provider in most cases yeah. and full-time CEO running the business. There's not a lot of time. So yeah. how do we find the time to focus on this if we find ourselves in that I am full-time patient care and I'm trying to run the business at the same time? Well, and that's that's fairly common, right? That, that is not an uncommon. First of all, I think having the thought, this is people in my situation do this because sometimes, you know, we can mentally trick ourselves. Like when I hear all this stuff, that's for other people. That's for people who have a staff. That's for people who have a larger budget. That's for people who somehow live in a world that has 30 hours a day and not the 24 that I'm limited to, you know? So, so I always start with the mind. Like, listen, time is our best ally. He is the great equalizer. Every human that ever lived only got 24 a day. And some have figured out how to utilize them just much more effectively than others. And it starts in the way that we think about leading ourselves in that. And so for me, even in that context, um, the idea of how do we prioritize our leadership in light of time, you know, I, I'm I don't believe in time management because I don't own time. We we talk about time management as if we possess it. We don't. Time possesses us, and it's how we lead in reference to this foundation, this container that we get to operate in. And so, for me, it's always a matter of if you feel like you don't have enough time, that in itself is the problem because we all get the exact same amount. It's then how am I leading my life in? line with priorities. And so again, when you go back and say, uh, you know, serving clients is my number one priority or how, you know, whatever it is, usually culture is a very low, it sometimes ends up on lower priority because we are facing the immediate. And so for um, practitioners, dual rolling in it and on the business, it's the idea of how every day am I spending 15 to 30 minutes not even consistently. How am I taking five or 10 minutes and saying, this is our values? How am I having one-on-one -on -one with the small team? Because typically in these settings, it's a smaller team. And so with that, I would say the advantage is you have quite the opportunity to make a big impact on culture quickly because it's not, you're not 400 people in eight locations and you're trying to trickle down and cascade and get people to buy in. It's like, We've got one or two locations with a handful of employees that I could physically interact with and have a direct impact on about what our values are. So a conscientious effort to say, I'm going to make sure every single day I'm first mindful of what our culture values are, what we value around here that shapes the kind of people that succeed here, the kind of character we want, the kind of communication we want. And I'm going to practice, model, and talk about that somewhere throughout my day. 
and sincerely, it's not like you have to do like a three hour every Wednesday morning, 12 week planned culture reset. It's in that in a smaller practice setting like that. It's just the, the daily intentionality of spotlighting it, modeling it and having conversations about who we are, why we value what we value and kind of how we want to do this thing together and then spotlight it. And, um, you know, when things show up that are the opposite of it, <laughs> that's just not who, how we want to be as a people. So oh, does that answer question? A, <laughs> absolutely. No, ab- absolutely. I think there's a really, it, and you really did clarify that in this context of even a multiple location practice, it's not a 400 person organization. You can have dramatic impacts on culture in very short order. I think it's easy to get caught up in culture being this big abstract piece that I have to somehow come up with a game plan for I got to do A and then B and then C. And while there's nothing wrong with that, the space that we play in, we can have dramatic impacts really quickly on the people just by that consistency that you talked about, by living the values, by sharing the values, reinforcing that over and over and, and recognizing the team when they live those those outs, just as a great place to start. And I, you know, I think I think you know the key of it is having discovered the values. You know, I'll, I'll do culture process with organizations that are larger, and it's always the let's discover what our values are. It's not let's make them up. It's like what already exists here. What do we genuinely value? And then let's be really intentional about wrapping language around it, defining behaviors that represent that. And in smaller practices, you know, the leaders, particularly if it's owner, operator, founder, it's like that person, that couple, that team, they embody it. You know, they are, they carry the spirit of what the place was started with, what really matters. Um, and so oftentimes it's it just hasn't been articulated in a way that the team can grab hold of, you know, they just need some hooks to grab hold of, of language or expectations that are behavioral or attitudinal, or even how we serve customers. Um, You know, so that, you know, I find sometimes that's missing also in these. It's like this, this idea of culture can feel like uh, monumental and we're just kind of this small and we got maybe two stores or three places. Um, But really the, the challenge is because they haven't said, this is who we are. And they just haven't put three or four words around the values that then lets everything kind of blossom out of that. And, th- and that's the mental hangup. So again, like having the mindset that says, listen, we, we can, we can d- discover and describe these. It's, you know, it's not a, it's not a making up. You don't make up your values. You describe what already is inherently true that other people go, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like the kind of people we are. That sounds like what's important to us already. And then you just say, all right, these are these are these are them. <laughs> let's start, let's start spotlighting them, living them, talking about them, discussing our challenges with what it is to kind of be consistent in these. And so, you know, again, in, in these settings, it's not a gigantic effort to have a culture movement or a real um uh, thoughtfulness or intentionality around defining and describing. It, it just is the prioritization of we're going to do this and then we're going to live by this consistently. I love that. We actually have a, an earlier episode where we talked about 
developing values, implementing values within a, a cold start specific practice. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Let's talk ownership culture. Mm. What is it? I love ownership culture. I, I love it. I know this, this, is, your, this is your this is your thing. So what is it? How do we leverage it within our business? And perhaps what does an owner look like? Well, you know, so you mentioned I do real estate investing. So I have, I've had single family properties for over 20 years. And I just realized my tenants and I, and I, so I talk about owners and renters and vandals in the workplace. And, you know, I, I use Gallup because it's a very standardized and everybody knows it um, as kind of the point of reference, like um, 30% are engaged, 50% are disengaged, 20% are actively disengaged. So it's owners, renters, vandals. And so the idea of renters is the disengaged, which is literally every other person in the workforce, statistically speaking, it's one out of two people, you know, so it's like, well, shoot. Uh, it, But, you know, I, I take a perspective of like, well, having an ownership culture doesn't mean it's only owners. It's that in, when we have these renters, which statistically is every other person, is that we're trying to find ways to create lease purchase options. So, you know, with, within the way I describe owners, renters, and vandals is the idea that owners bring their heart, head, and hands. And, and most literally every owner, you know, in your sphere here, like they care about it. They're thinking about it. They're bringing passion to it. They're, they're being conscientious when they're seeing other things. They're, they're thoughtful. Um, and then they bring skill. So renters, by my definition, are they, they just bring their skill. They show up. They do a good job. They're there on time. They do what needs to be done. But they have disconnected their heart. They, they just have discovered it's not worth using all of their mental energies or imagination, um, you know, and so I, I always like to say, you know, everyone is investing their life. Sometimes we talk about spending our days at work, but it's an investment. And when, if you, if you discover it's not worth the return on my investment, then I'm just going to show up and do my job and care at whatever the base level that I need to care. And I'm not going to think, or I'm not going to offer. And so, you know, and I think of that and, and people get excited about vandals. And so for your audience, this, I mean, they, they want to, might want to take note, you know, vandals are people who um, are divisive, destructive, who cause separation, who don't move, who are silent saboteurs. I refer to them and I always want to like arrest and evict them. And so, you know, the question is, why would anybody let a vandal live in their organization? And yet one out of five people, statistically speaking, are. Um, and in, in these settings, you know, so I always say they're revenue generators. First reason somebody is a vandal and gets to live there is because they're generating a lot of cash. Like they're, they're bringing in business and they know it. And so they don't have to be a team player. They're like, listen, buddy, I'm paying for all your salaries. Like, you know, like if it weren't for me, three of you wouldn't be here. So quit your whining. You know, so they have this ego attitude and it's not always somebody in sales or biz dev, but they're the number one reason vandals exist in organization is because they are revenue generators. Um, the second one is because they've been there a really long time and it's just awkward to deal with something that had been dealt with 10, 15 years. Third one is nepotism. They're related to somebody. And then the fourth one and is always surprising, but in small family businesses or family practices, the owner of the company becomes the vandal because they say and do things that create division on their teams because they think, Listen, I did this before any of you were here. Look around. I created all of this. And so they mistakenly, uh, you know, there's some legitimacy too. Like, I can do this without you. I did it before you were here. I'll do it. 
And so they can have an attitude, but it's just in their communication that creates, that causes people to go, forget this. I'm not going to give my heart to this place. I'm not going to give my imagination to this place. And so in these settings, and they do it very um, unknowingly that they, that they are creating this kind of impact. You know, they look around and go, why doesn't anybody care around here? And sometimes it traces back to, or remember that meeting we had two weeks ago when you threatened everybody? Well, that's kind of why, <laughs> you, know, you know? And so it's like, uh, you kind of want to be mindful of these things. And so, you know, in these settings, it's the, the thoughtfulness towards how we engage hearts and minds and if it's worth the investment. So that's my, that's, you know, using Gallup and thinking about engagement, disengagement and the actively, you know, that's how I think about owners and renters. Um, and, you know, and so I always say, listen, renters aren't bad. Like they're literally every other person. They're, ma- they're the engine, they're the workforce engine of America, really. Um, they're the majority of people. And so it's not like they're bad people. It's, it's the, how do we create lease purchase options where they can buy back in, where we can give them a reason to care at a greater level, that they actually believe there's a benefit that they'll get from that kind of investment. And, you know, this doesn't have to be financial. You you know, with vandals, I'm always like, arrest and evict those suckers because in the immediate, it feels really painful, but you lose lots of good people the longer you keep them in. And so it's always a painful move to remove a vandal, but then other people... Over time, it's not immediate. There is usually pain felt, but more people rise up and you create that space where, you know, you get rid of the one weed, even if they were providing shade for others, you know, the big honking weed, um, it really enables others to step into a place that either they didn't because they didn't regard. I mean, you know, when you let a vandal stay stay in place, whoever their supervisor is, owner, boss, people just lose respect for them because it's like, why, why this disparity between how we do and how they do? And, it, you know, in a smaller organization, especially, it's very evident. And so, um, I don't know, you got me I, You got me talking about ownership culture. I, I can keep going, but I'll, I will pause momentarily because I find that I, I can just, you just put, hit go and I just, oh my gosh, has 30 minutes passed? Did I, did I keep talking that whole time? <laughs> oh, I think, I think this is, I think this is fantastic. There's so much that we could unpack. Um, when it comes to so looking at owners, renters, vandals, how do we identify a renter if it's not perhaps owners are clearer, that passion, that heart, the bringing bringing all of it to the workplace is a little easier to to see. The vandal side, unless they're totally silent, pretty much everybody knows who they are, and I don't want to make broad generalizations. How do I identify a renter, and then? How do what do we do with the owners rental or renters, excuse me, and vandals that we have in the practice? How do we keep owners owners? Do we move? How do we move renters into owners? What do we do with that? It's a it's a great question. And here's so here's what I find. Even the way you're describing it, you know, one of the things I like to encourage leaders and employees with and owners is that it's not an either or proposition. You're not an owner or a renter. So I talk about it in these five distinctions because it's a very subjective idea. In many places, people say things like, we need people to buy in. We need you to buy. We need you to own your role kind of thing. And it's this very subjective idea. When I, when I do my keynote messages, I'll put up two different pictures and I'll say, speculate which one's the owner and which one's the renter. 
And they're just they're just pictures of two people standing, one sitting in front of a house and one, and people will say the exact same information causes them to believe that that family is a renter. And somebody else will say, oh, because of that exact thing, they're an owner. You know, and so it's like the exact same data people can interpret in different ways. And so, you know, my messaging and my my hope is to kind of create a an objectivity to those subjective phrases. So I talk about owners make big commitments, you know, and renters. So I do a compare and contrast. Big commitments, owners always increasing value, owners reach for responsibility, owners are inclusive, and then owners kind of see the big picture, whole house kind of thing. And so I talk about renters, how they value their rooms and renters, you know, they're like, I don't have any authority. So what am I, you know, they make excuses for not making increase in the place. And, but then on the, on the flip side, you know, I'll talk about how organizations, like we want people to buy in. And yet the very first one, big commitments, I spent a lot of time talking about accountability and contribution and the idea that when people show up new, they're like, hey, I've been I've been listening to a podcast. I've been watching some YouTube. I've read some books. What do you guys think about it? my last place? We tried this. And of course, everybody's just like, OK, who's the new person? Like, you know, get all those ideas out. We're going to crush your spirit, too. We're going to tell you, no, we don't have the money. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the time. So we just need you to do the job, man. You know, so all of a sudden, this thing that we're like, we really want people to buy in. And yet the the cornerstone essence of commitment is I get to contribute my thoughts and my ideas and the way I see the world. And I want to do that. And if I just get squashed, pushed back, told no every time, you know, at some point I go, okay, never mind. I'm going to just show up and do my job because that's really what you want. You know, and it's a real difficult um, friction because... You know, I'll regularly say most people have bad ideas. You think they're good ideas because they're yours, but they're not. They're just bad ideas. And you get your feelings hurt because somebody else goes, mm, I don't think so. And so, uh, you know, or it's like we really don't have manpower. We really don't have the money. We really don't. It's not on our timeline for this quarter or this year. And, and so the response having a, in a culture that says, hey, we continually want to hear from you. Expect the answer to be no 85 to 90% of the time. Yet, however, we're collecting these, we're listening, and we want, let's discuss them and see what could come out of your bad idea that could create a mediocre idea that we all start beating up and maybe get a really good solution. So we want to foster this environment where we're willing to still do that. And so, so again, that's, you know, that's not an owner renter, but that's a common behavior. So like in, from the leadership side, fostering this space where People can buy in because it's a it's a really perverted cycle where people are like, we really want you to care. And then when they try to do it from their vantage point, they get snuffed out, shut down. They're like, mm. so it's almost like we we want your opinion when we give it to you. You know, it's that kind of vibe. When it's like, so you're like, hmm, I wonder if I really should care or what, you know, if it matters. Uh, because people do want to contribute. And so how we how we're conscious of saying in an ownership culture where people really are bought in they they get to make big commitments and they do that like i never bought a house on goodwill like i bought it for an investment to get a return and and i and in all of our the people who started these companies they i mean and businesses practices you know they they did it to be of service and to make a living there's always a return 100% of the time in every person 
we make sacrifices and we invest ourselves for return. And so having conscious conversations about what do you value? Obviously pay, let's have a standard base pay. And then a lot of people, you know, say a lot of people, I, a group of people have an emotional sentiment of they like to be resourceful people. And so if there's a challenge, there's a problem, you go, listen, man, I need you to do something. You're the only one around here I think can do it. They're like, yes, there's this emotion. There's a return on, I see myself as a go-to person and I like that. I don't need any public accolades, but after it's over and done, I'd love for you to stop by and just say, you did a really great job with that. Thanks for making the sex. Thanks for going the extra mile. That's all they need. You know, and there's no physical, there's no, you know, financial cost to that. There's no extra. And it's amazing, you know, how many people miss that. Just going after the, asking for the sacrifice and then going back and just in the most subtle way saying, really made a difference. Really appreciate you. You, you know, your, your character is admirable, man. Thank you. You know, and that's all they need. That's the return they need. Other people want opportunities to learn and grow. It's like, I'll face that challenge. I'll take that. And so we've just got to be mindful of what are these, what is the return that somebody really feeds off of? Because it it's not, it's not typically financial. Everybody likes a good bonus. Everybody likes a pay raise. Sure. Like set me up. I want, I want to prove I'm worth that. Like I want you, I would like to make more. I'd like to advance. You know, so just being mindful of the season of life and the careers that people are in. And so I think the um you know, the important factor for leadership is how are we fostering this space where we show people it's worth caring? Like that's the deal. We want our clients to be cared for. We want excellent customer experience, guest services, however you frame it up. We want our people to create that for them you know, in the same sense. So an ownership culture says, we want to create this space where you're investing your life and you have the same type of experience that there's a return that's satisfying and you believe over the long haul, like this is the best way to invest my life. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan on trying to create happiness for employees. I'm like, I think people like a good challenge. I think people like to like to have something that stretches them. They just don't want to live that way. They just want to live like we're down three people. We're not hiring anybody. And so now I'm doing two full-time jobs. You know, it's like there goes, a, there's a shift from I'm being stretched, I'm being used. And, and finding that balance on, hey, listen, we're, you know, it's, we're having a difficult time hiring. We're having a difficult time getting somebody in. Really appreciate you do it. Appreciate you, you know, going above and beyond. And in the, I'm going to, I'm going to make it worth your while again in this, in this immediate season. And so it's not an either or proposition. They're not an owner or a renter. They're, they're maybe they're owning in this commitment, but maybe the season of life they've got a, a kid that's going through some health challenges. Parents, you, you know, everybody's got these things. It's like, hey, I can't, I can't make the level of sacrifice. Like, I can't work every weekend. Like, maybe I once could, or like somebody else can, because I'm driving up to take care of my mom. On the, you know, like stuff like that. You're like, okay, I get it. So you're, it's not like you're a renter but you're not fully able to kind of give yourself fully at this moment in this time. And, and, you know, I, race goes a long way. Understanding goes a long way. And again, in these practices, knowing the people and saying, this is what we value, you know, sometimes and I'm sure you hear this again, you got, I, I got rambling talking. Sometimes people talk about family, like we're a family and, and it's like, mm, maybe, you know, 
what we really want to be is people who love and respect each other professionally, you know? And so it's, it's like family feels personal, but at the end, we're still going to keep this in a professional sense. It might be a family business, like there might be some family, but at the end of the day, I, I don't want to be a part of your family. I want to be a part of your love and respect in a professional setting. You regard me as someone who has the potential for a career path that I want to pursue. And if I can't do it here, I'm going to go somewhere else and do it. And so I want you to value me in that way, you know, where you don't do that with your brother or sister. Like there's always a place, well, maybe, or I'm also going to go somewhere else. So I didn't mean to get into that. <laughs> no, you you gave us, you gave us so much stuff to think about. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to, and I appreciate the, the clarification, it's not just an owner, it's not just a renter, it's a spectrum of where they are and how they're showing up and how yeah. from a culture standpoint, you encourage them and you give them the opportunity to expand their ownership, shall we say, their investment in the business, because you're providing them the opportunity to make more decisions, be more empowered. They're, you're recognizing them for their contributions. You're rewarding them for their success and how they're helping build the business. And I think that that clarification is really important. And one of the other things as you as you went into that, that stood out for me as well is the beauty of private practice optometry being a small business is we can do this pretty easily and it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. In, excuse me. It, it doesn't have to be this big ordeal. We can start small. We It takes five minutes here, five minutes there. And yeah. you can see some results really pretty quickly in, in where your team sits in that renter owner spectrum. Mm-hmm. Listen, I have, and we didn't talk about this, and I, I got nothing to sell here, but I do have, I create an executive summary, we call it ownership blueprint, and I've got it in a PDF form, like if, however you want to set that up, we can send it to people, or I can send it to you, and you can email it out to people, or however that work, but it really gives a lot more language and kind of some context around kind of those attributes of the ownership spirit and ownership mindset that I think your your listeners would just, you know, resonate with and value. No, that's fantastic and and very generous of you. We will absolutely put uh, check the show notes for how to get access to that information. Great, this was a blast. Obviously, we could keep going for hours on yeah. this because it's fun and it's important yeah. and it's so super impactful. I can't thank you though enough for sharing your expertise, your wisdom, your experience with our listeners. We always wrap up the same question. We believe leaders are readers. What are you currently reading? I, I'm in the middle of the 12 week year. Have you, I don't know if you've read that or seen that it's called the 12 week year. Um, and so it's this idea of that you live every three months as if they're the year. And it's, it's not just a semantics, like it's a literal structuring of your business so that there's beginning and, and it's all begins and ends in 12 weeks. And so it's a, and because they talk about the ramp up, on the beginning of a year, how people are excited. And at the end, the press to kind of, you know, last six weeks of the year, trying to make everything. And so they've taken kind of the best of that and, and then created a structure for 12 weeks that is, it's really intriguing. And so I'm like half, I'm in the middle of it right now. We will, that, that sounds really interesting. We'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well. Great. This was a blast. Thank you so much. I agree. Listen, it's very possible and very easy to create a healthy culture if you just be intentional 
and defining about it. Like it, it's not a great mystery and it's not hard to do if you want to make a conscious change to your culture. If you've enjoyed the Practice Advantage podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to take your practice to the next level for the sake of your patients, your team, your community, and your bottom line, give us a call. 1-800-959-2020, option three. See you next time.